My guest for this episode is my good friend and colleague, Dr. Timothy Paul Jones. Timothy has written a lot of interesting books, which we discuss, as well as other things on this interesting episode. Thanks for watching. Welcome, man. Thanks yep. for taking time out. Good to be with you. Um, one of the questions I ask all my guests is, what was your first car? Uh, my first car uh, was a 1984 and 1986 Ford Escort. Um, and it, it was, was both. It was welded both together? It was literally, uh, that is literally oh, what I it was. Oh, I was joking. You remember that. It had been, uh, it is, uh, the front <laughs> half was an 86, I believe, and it had been wrecked. <laughs> And they put the back part of a 1986 on it, and it had well, it was welded no. together. Um, like, who thought that the two escorts were worth saving? I, I don't know, right? but you, I yeah, guess. Yeah. I was, uh, I was, an ex was extremely poor and had to <laughs> scrape together money. You didn't personally do the welding or something. Uh, no, I did okay, not. Right. No. And I'll take that car, car and that one. It was, it was 1100. Uh, dollars at a salvage yard, but it only had 40,000 miles on it. Okay. Well, 40,000 miles on the front half. Who knows what it had on the back half. <laughs> you kind of average. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, I remember the first time I got pulled over, I made the mistake of saying, the officer said, asked me about the model and everything of the car, and I asked him which half, which it didn't go well at that point. <laughs> we lived about two hours away. Oh my. I drove back and forth four yeah, days a yeah, week yeah. to seminary. Uh, and uh, and wore that car out. That's funny. I also drove an Escort back and forth uh, two hours to seminary. No okay, joke. okay. From Trinity. And yeah. when I was a, I was a pastor for five years, yeah. and uh, while well, I was five of my six MDiv mm -hmm. years, and I also drove yes. an Escort. That's really funny. Sign of greatness, man. Pastor, exactly. Go. I was a pastor in Sedalia, Missouri, and drove to Kansas City. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. Uh, four days a week. There's no other way to do it back then. There's, yeah, exactly. There's no, no modular classes, yeah, exactly. no online. Yep. So yep. drove back and forth every four days a week. Uh, but as I think back in that time, that was where I gave myself a literary education. That's when I started listening to Audible <laughs> audiobooks. It was yeah. it wasn't Audible. It was right. I would go to the library. I'd right. stop at a library and yeah. check out cassettes. Yeah. And I just for five years I just listened to <laughs> novels constantly. A lot of all the stuff in high school that you yeah. were supposed to read, right. didn't right. enjoy, and couldn't appreciate. And I really I feel like that really formed me. Yeah. In a significant way. Similarly, so. when what I listened to back and forth is Ligonier Ministries. Tapes. Okay. I listened to R.C. Sproul. Yeah. Yeah. Um, over and over, back and forth, yeah. all, all the way huh. uh, in that till I could probably to this day recite his history of philosophy lectures. That's huge, man. Um, on that, I just listened to that over and over. So that was the uh, that's very cool. That was the, what I what I did uh, back and forth, all right? And listened to a lot of rock and roll. I should say, all right. in all honesty, <laughs> I don't want to sound crazy. more cultured than the truth <laughs> is. <laughs> now there is the car. I'm getting once we down down to two children. I had a Mustang um, before we moved. That was that was the heartbreaker of moving here when we did that. Is I sold my Mustang. Okay, uh, which was my favorite car ever. And so, what was it? Uh, it was a the what was it? Uh, the 40th anniversary of I mean, 2004. So it was a silver. 2004 Mustang. Still the Fox body, um, I think it's called before. Because it was right before they, that one. Yes, yes. Yeah, they went to the fastback. Well, exactly, exactly. Yeah. They went to that one. They changed it the next year. Um, this is the last of that one. It was silver. Um, really, really liked that car. Did you have a new? And so, no, I bought it used, That's but awesome. I bought it when I finished my doctorate. Um, nice. I had been paying a monthly payment for the doctorate, so I switched over and paid a monthly <laughs> payment for the car. <laughs> nice. <and one>. Nice. <laughs> so I had that car um, and enjoyed that car a lot. And so awesome. the deal was when we sold uh, that car, is like, okay, 
whenever the time comes that we're down to two children, um, again, I'm, I'm so stop adopting them. Is Come that, on, man, exactly. you keep going the wrong way. <laughs> so, right. so we've got to get down to two children, and uh, and I'll get back to uh, and I'll get an, another Mustang again. Good so, for you. Anyway, that's Good what I've told you. the kids. Okay. So. Yeah, let's get some coffee. First thing to ask you is to choose a number between 9 and 145. Between 9 and 145. Uh, let's okay. see. I will choose 94. 94. Okay. So, why don't you turn to that beast? Okay. Okay. I don't know how long ago that was published. Yeah, a few years. So, okay. And, uh, what, what did you say? What number? 94. Say? 94. And read a paragraph out of there and see if you agree right. with it. Okay. Oh, this is one where I was doing kind of a meditation oh. in this book. So oh, that's that okay. Works. Yeah, that works. That work? Okay. Uh, revenge is sweet, or so I heard. So, Lord, if you happen to be in a lightning hurling mood at this moment, I could certainly come up with a list of potential targets. Like the no good kid who stole my friend's computer. Like the church members who lied about me. Not only do they lie, I don't think they tithe either. Promising targets there, Lord. Like murderers and child molesters and embezzlers and all the other hooligans who don't quite measure up to your standards. Anyone else you'd like to add to my list, God? Anyone else who deserves an unexpected dosage of divine judgment? Oh yeah, I suppose that would include me too, wouldn't it? No, I'd rather not see that lightning bolt yet. Yes, I guess my time might be better spent changing my own life. And no, I don't suppose I'll be needing anything else right now. Nothing except, could you listen to one last prayer? Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. This could take a while. That's beautiful. You want to put that in context? What's going on there? Um, so this is a book uh, about Star Wars and um, talking about... Uh, how in Star Wars this uh, need to let go of revenge and to let go of a desire for revenge is a key motif uh, in the Star Wars saga. Um, this was actually written, um, I can remember, during a time um, when I was really wrestling with whether to stay at the church I was at <laughs> at that time. That's a uh, so, about you. Exactly. Like, so yeah, 2004, that's... 2005. Okay. Uh, in that and uh, the what how that comes out is I did stay there for several years after that. In fact, I came here from there. Okay. Um, and I had some of the most fruitful years of ministry that I've ever had. Definitely not just some of, but the most fruitful years yeah, of ministry from there. Yeah, almost left from mm -hmm. about 2004 to 2007. Mm -hmm. Uh, in that particular church. It was during a transition time in which the previous pastor had been there 27, 28 wow. years and then left, and I became the senior pastor. There was resistance. Come on, everybody that. knows that. Exactly. That is the worst case scenario. You're never, you're the, yeah. that's the fodder person. Right, right? exactly. But that you, was, you did more than a year. I did, I did. And I would, I'd been the associate pastor of the church. I stepped I into the pastoral okay. role almost just because it needed to be done. He yeah. left and it needed to be done. So I stepped into that role and uh, it was, it was, it was hard, but it turned into some beautiful years of ministry. It really did uh, there. So, so more about so that's some of the context. But this book in particular, you want to say something more about? Yeah, uh, I always it comes down to I always wanted to write a Star Wars book. Yeah. Um, that was yeah. my uh, that was one of my life goals when I was about five years old. And, and I'm totally not exaggerating that I wanted to write a book about Star Wars and since I was about five, like in the fan <laughs> fiction kind of sense, or do you um, already I just think wanted, theologically? At that it, point? I was not thinking. 
thinking right. theologically. I just wanted to write something Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. And uh, cool. when uh, Revenge of the Sith came out, I uh, uh, had a chance with a publisher to do that and jumped on it and wrote this book, Finding God in a Galaxy Far, Far okay. Away. You know, is there a thesis or is kind of an exploration of certain themes within Star Wars? It's just Wars an and... exploration of certain themes. Um, truth be told, looking back at it years later, it tells a lot more about me than it does about Star Wars, which is okay. Um, good, in that yeah. it was it was me working out a lot of things. I would there's sure. a lot of things I'd say differently and do differently um, in it than I now. But uh, it was uh, sometimes you, I wrote a couple of books, one in 2005 and one in 2007. Uh, both of which, including this one, flopped commercially. Um, but uh, but I'm glad I wrote them anyway. The other one was called Hullabaloo, which was more than anything else me working through just a lot of grief and pain in my own life and okay. uh, working through that. And uh, but uh, you want to say and, more about that? Yeah, we were. Um, so my wife and I went through from like we started uh, trying to have children in 1999 and uh, just went through some horrible stuff uh, of that, of being matched with children, getting children, then having birth mothers change their mind and losing the children. Uh, we went through that three times in one wow. year of losing children uh, in that way. And uh, uh, 2002, 2003, and just, yeah, the, the book Hullabaloo, the other one that uh, I wrote during that time was, uh, just me as much as anything else working through how does this all work in light of that I, I often tell my students at apologetics classes there comes there's two different crises you have to work through and the first one is is it true and the other one is does it work um, in terms of your Christian faith and uh, apologetics should be both about is it true and does it work um, for me I dealt with the is it true years earlier um, and that was me dealing with the does it work um, that, right. that dynamic of faith yeah. so I've got another book here uh, we'll just choose uh, page 100 out of this one okay okay all right what year is this book uh, this was, it was 2007 simply put what changes from one gospel manuscript to another is the precise form of the title the identification of the author however never varies in any New Testament fragment or manuscript that has its title intact this unity in titles isn't limited to one region of the Roman Empire examples of this unity may be found in manuscripts from the western portions of the ancient empire all the way to North Africa, Egypt, and Asia Minor. So you want to put this book yeah. against it? What's the title yeah. of this? So this, again? this, this is, is Misquoting Truth. Okay. Uh, it is a response to Bart Ehrman's book, Misquoting Jesus. And uh, it's part of arguing that um, the Gospels were attached to certain traditions and names of, of known people. Um, all the way back into the the second third fourth century this isn't something that is a late uh thing of course bart ehrman in his book misquoting jesus as well as a later book uh, jesus before the gospels uh argues that the um the names matthew mark luke and john were attached to the gospels later um not because matthew mark and luke and john had anything to do with the gospels but they were arbitrarily attached later in rome um and my argument here is that that's you can't really say that because otherwise you would have ended up with at some point different gospel manuscripts with different names applied to them right. uh, later on. But you have the gospels uh, spreading all over, uh, at least 
well, at least let's go with what we actually know from manuscript evidence um, or from the church fathers, at least in Rome, Asia Minor, and Egypt, at the very sure. least, those, those locations, uh, you have them there, and yet there's a consistency in the titles as soon as the titles right, begin right. to emerge on the Gospels. So, I mean, it seems obvious why you wrote the book as a response mm -hmm. to another book, but maybe you want to say something else about yeah. it? Like, how did this kind of come about? Yeah, it actually flows out of what I said earlier, is it true and does it work? Um, the, the does it work, um, that's the Finding God in a Galaxy Far, Far Away, Hullabaloo, those books there. Um, this is the is it true uh, part. And uh, if I really uh, kind of dig back through in my own past, the reason that I felt compelled to write something in response to Ehrman was precisely because um, of when I struggled with the is it true sure. question, right. uh, which was in my first year of, uh, of college. Yeah. Uh, I'd been raised in a church that was King James Version only. Yeah, I saw um, that in there. Yeah. And uh, there's no, no manuscript variances. There's some sort of mystical manuscript out there called the Textus Receptus right. that has all the, the perfect everything. And it's the King James Version translated from that supposedly. All of this. Right. But I went into first year of college believing all that. And then took a course in New Testament, was taking courses in Greek, and realized that everything I'd been told was false. And at the same time, I was uh, my job that I was working, one of the three jobs I was working um, at that time was as a librarian. Um, and, uh, and I just found all of these books uh, by and about atheists. Um, and I just started reading right, atheist right. books um, all the time and some of the early papers from the Jesus seminar uh, that were coming out at that time okay. and things like that. I started just consuming so some all real, that. Real yeah. questions. Yeah, and, that, and yeah, it started right. really shaking my faith. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so I, my faith was really shaken during that time. And um, talking maybe early '90s. Yeah, that would have been early, not yeah. early to mid '90s. So uh, the Jesus point. seminar is really right. that's its great that's right. its strength time. Right. It was it was really that was it doesn't have much influence now. Right. Except for exactly. Time magazine on Easter. Sunday, exactly. You know, yeah. They'll, a, they'll they'll conveniently appeal to yep. the Jesus seminar um, on those times. That was but, the time yeah. where they were actually. Yeah. Oh yeah, it was. Yeah. And so I was reading, and I mean that's when I ran across. So oh, I learned the sun out of your eyes. Yeah, that okay? no, that's why I need to keep way. moving it back and forth. Um, but yeah, that's when I ended up uh, really, really wrestling with that question. Is it true? F.F. Bruce was the other one. Um, mm -hmm. I ran across his book, uh, The New Testament Documents. Yeah. Are they reliable? Yeah, big influential um, book. It for was generations. It really. was, yeah. yeah. And so that's one. Of the, so those books really helped to salvage my faith at that point. Yeah. And all that to say, going back to Bart Ehrman, uh, the stuff that Ehrman did is was in that same genre that really challenged my faith then and I wanted sure. to write something yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that helped to work through those things um, right. and helped others to work through them so that's why I ended up writing this book. Well from reading through that what I thought was and what I wanted to ask you about is that it it doesn't have a kind of snarky tone that Maybe I'm wrong, but it seems like a lot of the books that are in this genre, the mm -hmm. genre of anti-books, that I don't really read those books usually, um, maybe snarky or at least not very nuanced, but right. I know you well, and if there's anything I know about you, very thoughtful, very nuanced. You're not just giving you know cookie-cutter answers, and this doesn't come across as you know flat-footed either. And so I just want to commend you on yeah, that. Well, There's a book that expressed some nuance, and I and I know from other conversations that you're working on some gospel stuff. Maybe right. you want to say that. And I know right. from our extensive conversations about that, 
that you're very nuanced in your right. views on that. Do you want to say something about yeah. what you're working on? Um, so yeah, I'm working on. So thank you. Uh, for yeah, doing that. So. yeah, and I and part of that is, is and I'm not going to name the names, but there I read early when I was encountering some of this stuff in the '90s, some of that snarky yeah. early apologetic stuff, and it didn't help me. That yeah. wasn't what helped me. Right. What helped me was people like F. F. Bruce, who are very nuanced, or C. S. Lewis, who admits, yes, there are pagan parallels to the Gospels, yeah, yeah. but here's yeah. why. Yeah. And and I wanted to have that. And so in this book, what I'm trying to do is basically saying, look, Ehrman has his facts correct. Nobody's disputing that. Mm -hmm. But there's other ways of reading the facts he presents mm -hmm. than the way he presents yeah, them. Yeah. Uh, in that, that's my goal. In that, but what I'm working on now is a couple of different projects. Um, one on why trust the Bible that's intended for atheists. Um, and so it's it's a book uh, just working from the Gospels outward to the rest of the canon. But it's intended to be given to somebody who is an unbeliever or who is at least wrestling with belief. And the other one has to do with second century apologetics. I think that uh, there's so much beauty in second century apologetics to do with the Gospels. Um, and, and the way they argue for the truth of the Gospels is so different from how we argue today. And, and sometimes they're arguing from the sheer beauty of things. Sometimes they're arguing from the effect they have mm -hmm. on Christian ethics and goodness um, and, and all of that. And I, I, I want to recapture that. And so there's and a book the, I'm working on. That reflects that. a major epistemological shift in right. modernism I mean, where we only think that proving things is the exactly. only basis for right. trust or right. something. Right. And, and I want to go back to a. Uh, uh, an earlier apologetic, a, I, I, I hate even using the, the word pre-modern or the term pre-modern because that sounds as if modern is somehow an apex uh, yeah, right. instead of uh, a temporary annoyance, which is how I view modernity. <laughs> um, but anyway, so go back to an earlier apologetic uh, at yeah. that point and, uh, and we'll try to recapture the way they were reading the Gospels uh, and how they argued for the truth of the yeah, Gospels, really which is so much more beautiful than anything I read today. I mean, the word apologetic or apologetics, particularly mm -hmm. in my mind, the scripts that run for that, and I think for most people, mm -hmm. is deeply rooted in this modernist epistemology, right. just right. a Christian version of mm -hmm. it. Do you, uh, do you think the word is, it is an older mm -hmm. word, do you feel like it's redeemable as a word, I do. doing it the way you're doing right. it? Right, yeah. I do believe it's redeemable, and I, and I go back to, for example, um, in the uh, the embassy of Athenagoras or Justin Martyr or Aristides, who is my favorite apologist of all. Um, I never, when people are like, who's your favorite apologist? I'm like, Aristides, and they're like, who's that? No, I mean. Um, and I, but I really like Aristides. No, but what about Justin like, Dell? <laughs> exactly. Aristides, come on. <laughs> and so uh, so anyway, so I, I do think the word is, re is redeemable, and I think about it the way they are using it, okay. that apologia, as they're using it, is shaped by, um, the, the usage of it in Aristotle, which is uh, the apologia, was the opposite of the categoria. Uh, that is to say, the categoria was the accusation, and the apologia was the response to an the accusation. Word given to it. Right, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly what it was. And um, that's good. And Aristides, Athenagoras, what they are doing is is something beautiful. Um, so just go to Aristides. He he starts off and he says, "Look, what really convinced me of this is the beauty of it. <laughs> is the beauty of the yeah, world. Yeah, right. The world is so beautiful um, that I had to believe um, in good. that." And then he said, I, t "I read the Christian scriptures and found them to be so beautiful." And then he says, "If you really want an outward proof, and this is where we think he's going to kick into a modernity mode. Yeah. If you really want an outward proof, and what he says is." look at the lives of Christians. They care for the poor. Yeah. They care for uh, those that are marginalized in society. They care for the underprivileged. 
and that's his external um, kind of idea. Now, he's not yeah. against, he's, he gives arguments for the resurrection. For example, Justin Martyr does actually far more than, than the others at that point. But it's encased in this idea, of, and that's beauty and all of that's that. Really and that's what that's they beautiful. understand yeah, as great. apologetics. That's their way of defending, that's the way their way of, of, of giving an apologia in, in counterpoint to the categoria uh, is by appealing to these things. And I think the word itself ought to be redeemable uh, when we understand it contextually uh, in that way. You've written a lot of books. So one more. This one, which is so beautiful. This is such like a high quality yeah, piece of literature. Like, in terms, I mean, just the feel of it. I mean, you want to lick it almost, yeah. you know? So how we got the Bible. Yeah. Um, very nice. If you'd read page 161, the fourth okay. paragraph, or third full paragraph. The third fourth, full paragraph. Or th for um, it is the fourth paragraph. Uh, uh, the words that you... Okay, that's what I've worked to develop. Uh, uh, yeah. Now let's see. This one here. This one right here. Yeah. The words that you read in these pages have been sharpened through invaluable critiques and comments from my assistants, Gar Garrick Bailey and Nick Wirens, my esteemed colleagues, Rob Plummer, Jonathan Pennington, and go. Greg Allison. That's there you go. Word. You made it right there. Uh, Southern Seminary students, doctoral students, Aubrey Sequera and Andrew King, and layperson Bill Bensinger. This book was fueled by caffeinated potables consumed at the Starbucks on Frankfurt Avenue in Louisville and at the single finest coffee shop in the cosmos, Quills on Baxter Avenue in Louisville. There we go. There we go. Just we have it right here. There we go. But, okay. Good. Actually, I was mostly joking, but thank you. I, yeah. I actually, I, I was surprised to see that when I was reading this book. I'm like, oh, I didn't know anything about that. That's great. Especially because I didn't get a free copy of it. Exactly. I had to buy that thing oh, yeah, at yeah. the bookstore. So you thanks know, a lot, I man. make my mother buy copies right. of my books. Okay. I mean, Don't so. you get some free? <laughs> I, I do, but I use those to promote the books. <laughs> I see how you are. So okay. I, I, I will completely admit that. I'm not even going to deny that. Okay, so the takeaway for me from this whole thing is, next time you want to ask me a question about yes, the Gospels, there we go. you see me in the hall, okay, yeah. I will start my lawyer time clock. No, no, I'm just going to start charging you. Okay, there we so go. So our time is valuable, as we were there talking we about earlier. Exactly. So we'll just charge you. If there's not going to get a free book, then... Then uh, that's fine. I actually do try to slip into every book some sort of absolutely absurd uh, so things really like that, it. and right. and so for so the new leadership book, for example, has um, a footnote about Jar Jar Binks in it, and Jar Jar Binks made the name index in the book. This is an <laughs> academic book on nice. leadership nice. and and nice. biblical theology of leadership. With, as an example of with, a great leader, right. as well, it's actually it's actually really don't even try to, no. to redeem Jar Jar no, 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 Binks. No. It does no. not matter if you've written a book on Star Wars. Don't even try. <laughs> no, it's the no. opposite of it. So what okay. I wrote, well, the, what it was about is saying that um, the leadership culture at Lucasfilm was all about pleasing George Lucas, mm. um, oh, yeah, yeah, and that right, was the right. culture. And so they let nobody. Nobody at any time it, said, George, this is, this is awful. <laughs> this is not working. How about like two or three of the movies? Isn't right. that what was happening there? Exactly. Right? That, and that's exactly it. And what they they interviewed afterwards one of the guys, and that's what I was referring to, one of the guys who, who did the artistic direction for the movies. And they said, why did you let this happen? And he said, as long as George Lucas was happy, we were happy. Our job was to please George Lucas. Wow. And um, and so they use that as an example. When your yeah. leadership theory goes to that point, that people just want to please the leader, wow. then at that point, wow. your leadership culture has become toxic at that point. 
Um, wow. And so, so that's poignant. what, yeah. so that's what I wrote in there. But it still gave me a chance to slip Jar Jar Binks into the to the so book. When, and, if you look in the side there, you mm -hmm. will see some envelopes. Okay. And the you can just choose one of them. Okay. Uh, they're different colors, so you can look at them okay. if you want. You pull them all out. Okay. Um, or you just choose that one okay. as well. Uh, these are random questions. I okay. don't know what's in there either. Okay. And the deal is you answer this random question, I will commit to answering it as well. Okay. All right. So that one wasn't open already. No, no okay. it was not. Good. Who are some of your heroes in real life? Um, I would say probably one of my biggest heroes in real life is... Uh, um, Jar Binks. Yeah. <laughs> and not even George Lucas for that matter. Uh, my, I have an older sister, Sherry, who... Uh, is really shaped my life. She taught me to read at a very, very young age, and that and helped me become just a voracious reader. Um, in that, she just she was twelve years older, I think, than me, and huh. uh, um, and so she read to me when I was little and taught me to read, and just caused me to yeah. to love reading. That's huge. So yeah. um, I don't think I would have. Uh, I didn't. In our family, nobody had ever done college ever. Wow. Um, grow so my mom and dad, they didn't graduate from high school. They got GEDs much much later in life. None of my, no one in my family ever had gone to call had gone to college. Um, but that is really that, neat. Uh, but my sister just kind of awakened something in me of yeah. reading, and then she and her husband uh, encouraged me to go to college, go to seminary, all those things like that. So, um, so that 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 is one of those things That's I realized really I would have never yeah. have been anything at all that I've done without that. I'm a big C.S. Lewis fan. It's hard for me to get even through a single lecture um, without quoting C.S. Lewis. Like when I'm lecturing, um, it's like I think students almost take bets on how long can you go without quoting C.S. Lewis. Right, and so I've right. uh, got a deep appreciation for C.S. Lewis as well. So that would be somebody that I would actually... Yeah, that's great. ...up to as well. I'm drawing a blank. I think I'll probably just go with C.S. Lewis and your sister <laughs> now as well. <laughs> that's, that's an inspiring good, good, story. Yeah, good. So, good. But I'll go with uh, the guy who first shared the gospel with me. Mm -hmm. um, again, hero seems kind of an odd term for him, but in terms of just someone who was faithful, a model to me of mm -hmm. faithfulness, even in the midst of his own brokenness. His name was Craig. And uh, in the midst of his own flaws and failures in life and struggles, uh, he gave himself to serving on staff with Campus Crusade mm -hmm. and uh, raising his own money to do it when he could have gotten a better job, mm -hmm. you know, in the world's eyes and share the gospel and, pour, and then poured his life into mm -hmm. me as an 18-year-old hippie, yeah. you know, crazy, out-of-control kid, you know, so. I guess just one more question, TPJ. So, have you always gone by Timothy Paul <laughs> Jones? Or okay, am I the, the only one who calls you that? Or what is, what's happening? If you here? want, this, so it's actually kind of funny on that. So, there is actually a another Timothy Jones who does writing. Okay. Um, who's an Episcopal priest, I believe. Okay. And so, this is, so, um, I, I went just by Timothy Jones up until ah. um, about 2002, and what precipitated it was um, a publisher, uh, Servant Publications, which has since perhaps not surprised them have gone out of business. Um, they called me up and said, are you a pastor? And he said, this church, and the, the church I was at at that time, are you, are you a pastor, uh, preacher? He said, yes, I, I am. 
um, and, and you write books, correct? And I just finished writing, and it had just been published by first book, Christian History Made Easy. Okay. Um, so I, I answered both of those with an honest yes. You're the, and they said, you're the one who writes books, is the way they put it. You're the right. one who writes books. Um, and then they went on uh, to say, would you be interested in writing this book that we've got, we're projecting um, for our publisher? And, um, and so I said, yes, I would be. Um, I noticed then that I got an advance that was extraordinarily large um, for uh, for a for a second book uh, from from me, and they then I got assigned to the editor that was Max Lucado's uh, editor, um, Liz Haney was her name, and then they contacted me and said we actually thought you were the other oh, Timothy Jones, my but goodness. the the contracts were already signed, everything was already, so I ended up writing a book. Oh my that goodness, they, <laughs> that is crazy. Okay. And so, uh, so anyway, that they, I wrote this book, um, and it was, it was, was it the book they wanted? It, I mean, I mean, they, they were kind of locked into the book is called prayers. Jesus prayed. I don't recommend anybody <laughs> read it. I was not even close to ready to write such a book. Um, oh my goodness. and, uh, there was not, I mean, it was, it was a, it, I did not do well on that book. I want that book to go away forever. Um, <laughs> well, now we've got a record of it. So exactly. So sales um, are going to go through the roof now. The so, other Timothy. Exactly. Jones. Um, so they, so that is crazy. And so I started going from that point forward by my full name to distinguish from this other individual, um, on that, and, uh, and oh so I've my. gone by Timothy Paul Jones and all my writing. Have you ever met this um, guy? I've never there? met with him. Um, we corresponded one you time did. after that via email, just saying, "Hey, I am." I just I emailed him and was like, "I'm really sorry um, that you didn't mean to do this." Yeah, or whatever, I, right? I, I yeah. was not trying to do this. They called, asked me, asked me questions about this. I answered them completely honestly, and they sent me a contract. I signed it. I didn't realize what was going on until I ended up with Max Lucado's editor, and I thought, "This is and kind of strange." And this right? is a really big advance. Now I always that, go by Timothy Paul Jones in my writing, <laughs> so that just ended up kind of multiplying into the rest of life. And then Russell Moore um, started calling me TPJ. Um, okay, when, I thought Russell I started Moore. calling you. Yeah. That's good to know. Well, well, Russell Moore started doing that, and uh, and so anyway, so that's how. Because uh, that's I what know. I always call you. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I, so, always call you well, I always think it's funny because you're JTP and I'm TPJ, yeah, yeah. so it's, it's kind of anagrams of each other. Exactly. Right. <laughs> it's, okay. It goes back to 2002 when I accidentally got a contract <laughs> for a book. Uh, <laughs> that that point. is the best. That <laughs> so. is so funny. That's a great story. All right. Well, good, man. Well, it's been great. To All right. Chat. Good really, to be with you. Really appreciate you and uh, as a friend and as a colleague and an author. So. It's been good to chat. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode. Make sure you subscribe to all of our social media and especially our YouTube channel. We also have a Patreon account if you want to support us that way. Thanks again. We'll see you on the road.